I thought I was doing something wrong as a partner in the relationship that was causing my partner to behave this way. And I thought that if I went to the therapist, they could fix me and help me be a better partner so that my partner would stop hurting me. In this episode, Aliana Thomas goes through the looking glass to talk about how her experiences with domestic violence and mental health struggles inspired her to seek political office to make a change. You're listening to Finland Through the Looking Glass, a podcast hosted by Denise Wall about life in Finland through the eyes of foreign background residents. Hello, I'm Denise Wall and I'm settled in one of my favorite places in Helsinki Enchanté Café. My guest in this episode is Aliana Thomas and she's a transplant from New York who's lived in Finland since 2010. Aliana had also been in the spotlight a few years ago as an advocate for learning Swedish as a means of integrating into Finland. She was also a candidate in recently concluded parliamentary elections, but that's not the main focus of our chat today. We're here to learn more about Aliana's experiences with domestic violence and mental health challenges. Aliana, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a bit about how you first settled in Finland? After I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life traveled around for about a year and decided uh, that I wanted to continue my studies to get a master's degree, uh, but that I wanted to do it somewhere that had uh, a good standard of living. And so I applied to a number of master's degree programs in Copenhagen in Denmark, in Tromsø and Trondheim in Norway, in Linköping in Sweden and in Helsinki. I got into all of those programs except the Danish one, uh, but ultimately I decided to go with Finland because one, the University of Helsinki gave me uh, some money <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Finland had the easiest visa requirements at that time. And and so you completed your degree and decided to stay or did you then uh, toy with the idea of going elsewhere? I toyed with and have and had for many years continued toying with the idea of uh, going back to New York. So at some point during my studies, I decided that Finland wasn't for me. And I think it was sometime during my second year of living here that I had gone back to New York and I had received a job offer. And I had only returned to Helsinki to let go of my student apartment. Uh, but then I met someone And I thought that that would solve a lot of the issues that I had been facing. I'm a little bit curious uh, as to what issues you're referring to when you said that meeting someone would solve some of the issues you were facing then. It was a very lonely place to, to live. It felt like a very insular society. And I thought that if I had my person... <laughs> particularly a person who spoke the language, who had lived here longer than I would, that somehow having someone who was mine to support me would make things more interesting, more easy, more fun. Now let's move away from that for a bit and uh, visit your recent uh, foray into the world of national politics. 
Uh, you were a candidate for the Swedish People's Party in the general election. Um, can you tell us why you decided that you wanted to get involved uh, in national politics in Finland? I, I want to begin by answering your question by saying that I had been asked to run four years prior. <laughs> One of the many reasons I had said no at that time was because I didn't have a clear idea in mind of what I would like to stand for. Why would I run? And when I was asked this time around, it was a lot clearer to me um, what changes I would like to see happen in Finland. And one of those was around, well, my main, my main campaign slogan was a safe Finland for all. And that was meant to be around mental health and an intimate partner violence. So that it was very clear to me this time um, what institutions I would like to see changed and also how I would like the culture and the attitudes around intimate partner violence to also change. Do you think that the election uh, provided you with enough of an opportunity to talk about those things or to raise those issues? No. <laughs> Short answer, no. I felt that as a minority, as a person of immigrant background, I was relegated to discussing topics around integration and discrimination and racism. And although I do have opinions about those things, um, it was very upsetting to me to see that there wasn't, there wasn't a clear pathway to me being a part of panel discussions around those issues, particularly in English or Swedish. And to be honest, even in Finnish, I wasn't sure that I saw this uh, intimate partner violence as a topic in the election. And I think at this point, I would like to perhaps uh, share a trigger warning because we'll be getting into this a very sensitive subject, which is intimate partner violence, as you mentioned, Aliana. Now, Finland is a country that's lauded for its gender equality, but it's also statistically an unsafe place for women. Uh, and we know that back in 2021, for example, the Finnish chapter of UN Women concluded that one in three women in Finland experiences intimate partner violence at some point in their lives. And the NGO uh, RIKU, or Victim Support Finland, says that domestic violence often begins as emotional bullying, repressing, defacing, and criticizing, and it can also take the shape of physical, financial, sexual, or religious violence. Does any of the behavior that I described sound familiar to you on a personal level? Yes, absolutely it does. Um, I I feel a little bit triggered by this mention of like the the bullying and, and so on, because um, often when I've spoken about my experience with people close to me, one of the first questions that often gets asked is, uh, "Didn't you see the signs from the beginning?" Which was the the bullying, the ridiculing, and so on. Um, But I think because of what I knew or was familiar with at the time, I didn't put those behaviors in the category of 
violence or abuse. I put all those things in the category of, okay, this person is difficult or maybe has a temper um, issue. So I'm glad that it, it, it was part of what you said, but, um, but it wasn't part of my framework at the time. I, didn't, I wasn't able to flag that as like a red flag at the beginning of my relationship. Uh, so you were not afraid when these kinds of behaviors reared their head in the relationship? No, I, I, just, I just assumed that this person had an anger issue or that maybe this was a, an issue of maturity or that maybe this was sort of the, the growing pains of trying to you know, share a life with another person, that there might be these difficulties. And that's how I had rationalized it at the time. And I wasn't afraid. It was weird, <laughs> but I wasn't afraid of this person. So at what point and why did you decide to change your circumstances? What helped bring you to a realization that perhaps this is not a normal uh, dynamic in a relationship? It took speaking to a friend Um, but there was an event one night where uh, I had gotten an injury. Uh, it was maybe my third injury. Um, but I remember in the days after the injury when I couldn't even hold anything that I thought, okay, this is, this is bad, I need to talk to someone about it. And in speaking to a friend of mine, My, my friend said to me that she was, one, concerned that I wasn't scared. She was scared for me and that she would like me to go see a therapist because she would like the therapist to also explain to me how dangerous the situation was. Um, but yeah, I think it was just how long I was dealing with the injury that prompted me to finally tell someone and then in telling someone get that outside perspective well that is uh, very distressing to hear and I I'm sorry that you had to endure those kinds of circumstances um, did you at that point decide to take your friend's advice and uh, talk to a therapist yes I did but not for the reasons that she wanted me to go see the therapist uh, I went to see the therapist because uh, I thought I was doing something wrong as a partner in the relationship that was causing my partner to behave this way. And I thought that if I went to the therapist, they could fix me and help me be a better partner so that my partner would stop hurting me. That's why I went, despite my friend's advice. And at what point did you come to realize that the fault was not necessarily in you, but that this behavior was inappropriate and unwarranted regardless of the, you know, whatever idiosyncrasies you had personally? It probably took another two years from the point of calling the therapist to realize that. I, I actually remember you know, sitting at the edge of my bed and my partner had left Finland and the idea was to go and join them. But I remember being about to call them and thinking, 
oh, it's enough that I don't like this. And that was such a strange realization of just like, people might have their own definitions of what abuse or violence is. I don't need to qualify this behavior. It's, it's enough that I don't like it and that it's affecting my life in a negative way. That's enough to be able to say no and to be done with this. But it, like I said, it took maybe two, two and a half years to get to that point. And that's quite some time since the time uh, that you decided that you wanted to seek help. Two and a half years is, is not a short period of time. It must have been during that time quite difficult to keep your head up. Uh, how did you manage to keep going in those circumstances? When I look back on it, I, I'm also baffled about how I managed to function. Um, but I think the, the biggest help aside from having a therapist to talk to was being able to go to work, that I had a safe place to go away from my partner, that I was earning my own money. And it did help to some extent that there was a point in the relationship where I had to let my employer know. And so it helped me to keep going that at least I knew that if something happened, my employers could step in in, in some way. It helped that, um, that my friends were also aware. I mean, their ability to help me and support me was, was limited. Um, but those were healthy ways that I, I managed, but I had also a lot of unhealthy um, coping mechanisms. I, I overtrained at the gym. So I would probably every day like go to the gym for maybe three hours to exercise. One, to just distract myself, but also two, to avoid going home. And I, I tried to over control my eating as, as well. So I had very restrictive eating. Um, so those were some of my unhealthy uh, coping mechanisms that also, they helped me <laughs> uh, to feel like I had some kind of control, but uh, yeah. Was there an option for you to leave your shared home with your partner and spend time in a shelter, for example, so that you wouldn't have to go home? Because you talked about the fact that you, that work afforded you uh, some kind of, of shelter and also the gym was another place where you felt safe. Uh, so I have a, a bit of a long answer to this question because trying to find uh, a more permanent and stable place to, to go to was actually a very long project. So I think maybe a few months into moving in together, I was trying to look for an apartment of my own behind my partner's back. Um, and that was very difficult because of the logistics of that, of like, how do I explain to this very controlling person, you know, if they're used to my schedule being, okay, she finishes work at this time and then she goes to the gym, it's hard to explain like more time away to go to an apartment viewing. And I was also very paranoid about any kind of documentation coming to my house. I don't know how rational that was, but that's where I was at that time. And then um, at some point I got in contact with an organization called Omatila, 
they were not able to give me a turvakoti, but rather something more temporary than a than a safe house. It was a place for me to go for about one week uh, after a particularly scary incident um, for me to sort of decompress. But that wasn't particularly safe either because, uh, how do I put it? Um, if you're convinced that your partner is everywhere and knows everything and then you're put in a really secluded, isolated uh, space in the forest and no one else is allowed to know where you are and no one is there to like receive you when you arrive there and then no one is speaking to you during the week that you're there um, it's not really possible to decompress because in my case I was convinced that my partner knew where I was and would show up at any moment um, and when I left that place I stayed with a friend but my partner knew where I was and had uh, attacked me one day there so I didn't really have a place to go that was stable and permanent until my partner left Helsinki to go to another part of the part of the country and then that was very short-lived until they left the country entirely so it grew safer and safer and more and more stable, but it was a very long project to get there. This is Finland Through the Looking Glass, a podcast hosted by Denise Wall. Now, as we know, domestic violence or intimate partner violence it can be a taboo subject in many societies and certainly can sometimes get swept under the rug including here in Finland as you mentioned it, it was something that was not platformed at all during the the general election in fact statistics show that on average women in Finland face more violence than women in other EU countries and we also know that the vast majority of the victims of Intimate partner violence are women, although men do experience it as well. Now, when it comes to women with disabilities or with a foreign background, the data show that they face two to three times the risk of violence and twice the likelihood of being raped compared to the general population. As an immigrant woman, how easy or difficult would you say it was for you to get the help that you needed? Uh, it was very difficult if I think about, if I start with like one of the more practical aspects, which is immigration status. So my visa was tied to my relationship and to my, my marriage. It, it was a real shock to me uh, when I went to renew my, my visa uh, and I tried to do it early, <laughs> by the way, so to to avoid this this issue of you know your the bureaucracy, yes, yes, of your current visa expiring while your renewal visa is being um, processed. And so I remember applying uh, six months into my existing visa, and then maybe a few weeks before that visa expired, getting a letter basically saying that because I didn't live with my partner, they were considering giving me a negative decision and that they would like me to explain in Finnish, in writing, 
why I don't live with them. Despite my application being in English, so there was this sort of scramble to find someone that could help me um, write about what was happening in Finnish and to then get documentation from the therapist as, as evidence of the fact that the violence in the home was escalating and that I had to leave the home for my own safety. Uh, and then my visa expired and I was called to the immigration police, you know, and the Swamin lackey book is sitting there on the desk and I was told that I, I don't live with my partner. So my, my renewal... You face the risk of deportation. Well, they just said to me that you're working and you're a student, apply for a new visa. So it wasn't uh, facing deportation, it was more suddenly being without documentation that now all I have is the paper that says that there is a visa being a new visa being processed and then I wait the six to eight months for them to process that and they just let me walk out of the office no one asked you know if I was safe if I needed any support getting out of the marriage no one offered any resources no one asked me if I wanted to file a report or a restraining order they had no idea you know if my partner was waiting out in the parking lot for me um, and so I felt like I was being punished for trying to find safety I felt like I had to choose between my visa and my life yeah. basically And I think that uh, it demonstrates uh, one of the things that's been discussed quite a great deal in Finnish society in relation to many other uh, kinds of areas of life, the disconnect between different kinds of services. So you would imagine that there would be some kind of um, line of communication between immigration police and the regular police when there is clear activity or, or clear indication of some kind of wrongdoing or someone facing harm. But in this case, the, the light bulbs did not go off. When I did move into my own apartment, um, I remember Omatila advising me to call the police to see if they could help me safely move out. And I specifically called non-emergency first, so that when I called emergency and they would tell me to call non-emergency, I could say I've already called them. I called non-emergency and they said, if you want a police officer, that's the emergency line. And I called emergency and I said, my partner is violent. I want to move out. I need to go get my things. Can someone come and be there to ensure that they don't attack me? And... They basically told me that they couldn't come unless my partner had done something to me. And I said, okay, so I should wait until my partner tries to kill me and then hope I have my phone somewhere nearby and that I am in a safe place to be able to call you where I can safely explain to you what's happening and then find another safe place to wait for you to show up. And they just said, yes. How did you find information about where you could turn for help? Was it easy for you or did you get that kind of information through recommendations from friends? Did you have friends who sort of signposted you and helped you figure out where you should go to? 
Omatila was an organization that I had heard about from my therapist. Um, the organization that uh, helped me to compile that response letter to the police was an organization that I had uh, previously interned with and I had a friend working there that I had studied with. Um, I am going to speculate about how difficult it would have been to find some of these places because at least at the time a lot of their information was in Finnish which I don't speak uh, so I wouldn't have had I wouldn't have had the vocabulary to to search for for them um, I'm sure there's a n number of other services that I'm still not aware of like you mentioned Riku mm. I've never heard of them well I think uh, there's a lot for uh, NGOs and policymakers to think about on that point but I feel like there's also a role for the rest of civil society uh, when it comes to tackling this issue. Um, perhaps it's possible for us all to be open to people who may reach out and to find ways to support them and even work with NGOs. And, and there are a couple of others that um, I've heard of recently, such as Nola Linia or Nystan Linia, mm -hmm. for example, that help support victims. Um, and I think this brings to mind one question in terms of uh, your, your immediate like neighborhood, your neighbors. Were they aware of what was going on in your home? And I know that the threshold is quite high for people to, to intervene and maybe knock on a neighbor's door and say, are you okay? So it was quite shocking to me when I live with my partner that with all the screaming going on all hours of the night that no one no one filed a noise complaint <laughs> no one called the police no one called social services um, and so of course I don't I didn't expect anyone to knock on our I'm, I'm, I have really low expectations for someone to knock on the door of a neighbor that they hear constantly screaming and throwing things happening within the apartment uh, so that's that's one part of it is just not knowing your neighbors and not having confidence that they would help the the second part the second part of my answer is uh, when I lived with my friend there was an incident where my partner grabbed my cell phone and had choked me uh, outside of the apartment and I have a very clear memory of a neighbor walking up the stairs. You know, there's a long window, a long vertical window that goes the full length of the staircase. Walking up the stairs, looking down and continuing to walk. And another neighbor looking out her window and then closing the window. And so, yes, I understand like wanting to depend on the police and these institutions, but there's something extremely scary about like your fellow human being being able to turn their head and empowering the person who's abusing you. I don't know, to be honest, what I would do in a situation like that. I think at this point, uh, let's take a break, but I'd like our listeners to reflect on that. When we come back, we'll, we'll talk about how Finland approaches helping people with mental health challenges.
This is Finland Through the Looking Glass, a podcast hosted by Denise Wall. And we are back after a short break with Aliana Thomas, who shared with us her struggles with domestic or intimate partner violence as a somewhat isolated newcomer to Finland. Now, Aliana, how did the situation that you went through uh, for those years affect your mental health? I mean, I'm still in therapy. Hmm. I'm still I'm still working uh, with the issues that that relationship caused. But I'm also working with the issues that sort of allowed me to find myself in that in that situation and working with how to how to navigate the things that I thought I had processed but which come up when I am in a relationship with another uh, person um, and the anxiety and depression and panic attacks that that can happen as a as a result of it but um, it's taken its toll on me it can some days be pretty upsetting that my partner is probably doing just fine and I'm stuck doing all this work were there any other life changes that occurred during that time that you think sort of knocked you off balance uh, in terms of your work or your studies at some point during the pandemic I became unemployed. Um, being unemployed has been a bit more difficult than I than I expected. Um, it's not just the not working and having a completely different rhythm to my life than those around me. It's also uh the toll that the unemployment model <laughs> has taken on on my mental health um the model of needing to apply for x number of jobs every month regardless of whether there is a job for someone like me um especially when we consider like the language requirements and and so on um and now i mean my three years of rehabilitation have run out Um, there's the issue for me of uh, how to access care in particularly acute uh, moments. So there have certainly been a few moments during these two years where I've been really afraid for myself. Uh, and I've thought, okay, is there a point in going to the emergency hospital? Um, or where I've decided to call, for example, Mieli. Uh, and you know, God help you if it's if it's a Saturday at 8 p.m. and you don't speak Finnish, because um, I've certainly been in that in that situation. I think in many ways, although I've been talking for a while now about like the processes and the institutions and so on, I do keep thinking about how different things would be again if I knew my neighbors if I had community, if there were people to talk to and it wasn't just about Sisu, <laughs> you know, resilience and being able to fend for your for yourself. And in terms of uh, your therapy, uh, Aliana, is that something that you were able to get 
from the public services? Uh, I had not gone to public services. I mean, I'm still with the same therapist that helped me to get out of uh, my violent uh, relationship. Um, and that therapist is a private one. Um, I have not used uh, public um, psychologists or, or therapists. Uh, I have had some brief run-ins <laughs> uh, with them, and I, or, or at least with um, with like occupational uh, psychologists. I have been really disappointed in the services I've gotten there. It's been. I don't want to say racist. <laughs> I don't know what label I want to put on it. I will give this example and then the listeners can decide what they think is going on. <laughs> um, I remember going through burnout at work and thinking I would like to go back to school. I want to work as a speech therapist. And I was going to apply to a university in Turku and the therapist uh, said to me, what if you don't get in? It was the first thing she said. And then they said, uh, it sounds like university is very important to you. Why don't you go to an amatikorke kolu? Have you considered nursing? To which I said, uh, the amatikorke kolu does not have a speech pathology program that is why I'm applying to a university I'll just let that sit there and people can analyze that how they see fit <laughs> I will just add for clarity for those uh, who may not know what an Ammatikorkeakoulu is it's uh, a term used in Finnish to denote a University of Applied Sciences which used to be called Polytechnics uh, back in the day now, I want at this point to say that there are probably people in our audience who are listening who've not felt their best emotionally and, uh, and psychologically. And I want to em emphasize that they're not alone, you're not alone. Uh, OEC data show that in the EU, an estimated one in six people experience mental health problems. And in Finland, that proportion is a bit higher at one in five. And one of the things that I think is important to note is that there's also a high economic cost to mental illness. Uh, on average, in EU countries, that accounts for 4% of GDP compared to 5.3% of GDP, national GDP in Finland. And when we talk about the cost to society, we mean the cost of treatment, yes, but also social security programs, uh, lower unemployment, of course, and lost productivity. And that's why it's important that people seek interventions as early as possible, but also that those interventions are available. I think it's a bit short-sighted to only focus on that rather than on what's causing, what's causing the issue. How are systems, institutions, social and political arrangements... <laughs> um, sort of contributing to unequal health. <laughs> so before you even arrive at seeing a psychologist. So 
for example, one could say that, okay, you are healthy because you're able to go to work, right? That right now the model is that, well, yes, you're having a mental health crisis, but we need to get you a job. And then if you continue to have issues, well, maybe we need to get you medication. And none of those interventions is actually addressing what's causing you the distress. None of those interventions have included, you know, for example, what my support system looks like, of a different way of working. The system's obviously very rigid with trying to help you find work. So that's why I'm a little bit careful of just focusing on if something is available in a language and etc. Feels like what you're getting at is that uh, the the general approach is more of a band-aid. Yes. That you you stick a band-aid on the sore, but you don't really address what's causing the sore. Yes. Yeah. I want to circle back a bit and talk about all of this that we've discussed, which was the basis for your decision to to get into international politics and run in the parliamentary election because you said you had a, a much clearer idea uh, this year than four years prior as to what you wanted to focus attention on. Let's say the stars had aligned and you had been elected to office and you had somehow managed to get the political and economic clout to allow you to make big changes in these areas. What are some of the first areas that you would address? I would have definitely addressed um, issues with Migri with respect to um, basically any kind of visa, whether it's tied to you know family, cohabitation, marriage, probably even work. I mean, that's also a power dynamic that can be uh, abused. I would have liked to do something around better interagency cooperation. I think I would have liked to have seen some more services offered with uh, with social services. So for, for example, when I mentioned the issue of even trying to leave the home, uh, I think part of that issue for me was the financial cost of can I afford to, in this transitionary period, pay my part of the rent where I'm living with my partner, plus the security deposit, moving costs. Uh, first month's rent and so on, that it would be nice if there was if there was an acknowledgement of like the need for financial services through Kela um, for helping people financially get out of those situations. I would probably also address issues with um, training of uh, healthcare professionals as well in their ability to spot when someone has come in with something that looks like. Uh, an injury that's the result of domestic violence um, and again interagency cooperation there um, or at least how do you help someone who's a potential victim of domestic violence begin to create a record in this sort of blue sky approach I, I've wondered a lot about if there's something that can be done a sort of low tech uh, approach to what can be done if we acknowledge the sort of realities of what violence looks like, which is that you're not always going to have access to your phone and you're not always going to have access to transportation. 
right? So you can put as many torvakotis as you want, <laughs> but if you don't know where they are and you can't check them on your phone and you can't call for help, how do you get help to that person? And one, you know, one impression that I'm getting from this conversation, and it's probably something that affects not only people who are uh, not native to Finland, mm -hmm. but, but Finns who are not familiar with the phenomenon and the problem either, is that there is, uh, there's not a lot of uh, understanding or information about how that whole system of support works. So you don't know how it works until you're in the situation. And then when you're in the situation, you're not quite sure where you can get information about where to get help, who can help you, or where you should go. I would like to add to that that um, if you consider that when you're living in that situation, the amount of psychological stress and strain it takes on you it's very difficult to find the mental space and energy to search and search. So those services need to be need to be very visible. They need to be very easy to find because of the cognitive um, load you're already under, the stress you're already under, the possible surveillance of your partner you're also dealing with. I'm going to dramatically change gears now, Aliana and uh, sort of bring us around to the home stretch of this conversation. And I'm going to ask you to respond to a question that was posed by our last guest on the podcast, Salsa Kalili. He's an entrepreneur. And Travis is here, ready to play the question for you. I'm curious to, to, to hear from uh, uh, whoever will be. When you succeed, do you believe that you were lucky to succeed? Or it was only based on your talent? I don't believe for a second it's based on my talent. <laughs> I, think, I think it absolutely is uh, luck happening to be in the right place at the at the right time uh in the right body <laughs> surely there must be some element of skill or capability in your experience that allowed you to succeed in addition to being in the right place at the right time <laughs> and in the right body because that opens up the opportunity for you but when we when it comes to to taking uh, you know, putting the ball in the goalpost to succeed. No, <laughs> I I think that some some of it is some bit of talent, but I I don't believe that that's like the final push. I I think it's just someone wanted to take a chance that day or or whatever. That's that's how I that's how I see it. That I I find it really hard to believe that I I'm like self-made. Or something. I think some of it is luck, and some of it is um, someone liked me, or I knew somebody. Uh, let's let that rest, and and we can tackle it outside of the the, <laughs> the podcast. But now it's your turn to frame a question. Any question that comes to mind for our next guest here on Finland through the Looking Glass. What do you think our society would look like? if we prioritize the most vulnerable? That is an excellent question, Aliana. And I certainly am looking forward to hearing 
how our next guest will tackle it. Before we end the show, is there anything that you'd like to add or share? Uh, I think I would have a little bit of advice for for those who have a friend or family member um, that they know or that they suspect are in are suffering with um, intimate partner violence. Um, I would say, if you know someone that's going through that, hesitate from criticizing their partner and instead focus on telling them how valuable you believe they are and how much uh, you think they deserve. It'll be helpful to remind them of how valuable they are to you, to the world, and how much love that they they deserve. I would really like to add to that that um, ask people how they're doing and not in a superficial hi how are you doing kind of way but really ask is everything okay with you is there anything that you'd like to share with me is there anything that you'd like to talk about it's so important because sometimes it just takes opening that one door for someone to let you in and to share with you uh, if they've been in pain or if they really need your help moving forward So on that note, (laughs) Aliana, I really would like to thank you for joining us on the podcast and for opening up about what I, I'm sure have been very painful experiences. Um, It's been insightful, revealing, but also refreshing. And I do appreciate your your willingness and your frankness in sharing this personal story. Thank you for providing a, a safe place where I could share. Thanks also to our audience for listening. Please share, like, rate and subscribe to the podcast, which you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Anchor.fm. And remember to join our Facebook community where you can continue the discussion. Many thanks as always to our hosts at Enchante Cafe and see you all next time. Finland Through the Looking Glass is a podcast created and hosted by Denise Wall. Production on this episode was handled by Travis Glossop. Join us on the next podcast for more intimate and eye-opening conversations from Finland's quiet minority.